In the beginning, in the form of God, with just a word you sang creation's song. But then by sin humanity was marred. You took on flesh to save a world gone wrong. At Calvary, the soldiers chose the nails to fasten you upon the cruel tree. The hammer drove into your sinless hands. The nails you chose to pay sin's penalty. You are the Christ, Son of the living God. My rebel heart, in mercy you pursued. No other name deserves my praise. You are my life, my all, and I belong to you. Triumphantly prevailing over hell, you broke sin's curse by rising from the dead, parading captives forth in victory. You freed my soul and crushed the serpent's head. And when one day redemption is complete, I gaze at last upon your face unveiled. My voice shall echo through eternity. In spite of me, your saving grace prevailed. You God, my rebel heart, in mercy you pursued. No other name deserves my praise. You are my life, my all. You are my life, my all, and I belong to As you turn to John chapter 20, I would ask you a few questions. Uh, who is God? We sang some songs that talk about who our God is, and it is, it is wonderful to behold. But, but who, who is God? Uh, how is your God different than so-called other gods? Is your God any different, or does it just have a, a different title? Or Who is your God? Can you really know God? Can we really know God? 
What does he look like? What does he act like? What are his thoughts? Why does the heart of man cry out to know God while rejecting what he already knows about God? Do you know God? Do you want to know God? These are all questions that you have answered, regardless if you have given contemplation to them or not. You are answering those questions daily. In a class here at Calvary for seniors, we watch, uh, it's a worldview class, and we watch videos of popular atheists who ridicule the idea of God. They ridicule the God of the Bible, and, and uh, we were watching one where though he would, this, this atheist would love to, he, he would love to uh, destroy religion, he kept slipping up and calling religion Christianity, which really brought out the idea that his warfare is not against religion, it is against Christ. And his hatred for religion is guised in that word, but it really is a hatred for Jesus Christ. They would say that he's just the construct of a weak mind looking for comfort. Who is God? We have here before us probably one of the best descriptions of God in the scriptures, clearly defined for us here in this passage of scripture in John, in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at that through the weeks to come. The author of the Gospel of John is the disciple John, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to try to go quickly through some of the academic aspects of it, but I think they're important for us to understand, so if you'll stay with me, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hurry through these, but please give your mind to them. Uh, John wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote the epistles, so 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written by the same uh, person who wrote the Gospel of John, and also the book of Revelation was then written by this same person. And uh, John doesn't refer to himself in the Gospel of John ever. In fact, he calls himself simply the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he highlights two things for us in that he calls himself that. He, he, he highlights his wonder and awe at the, the love of Christ. And then uh, one of the themes of the book is God's love expressed to man in the person of Jesus Christ. So he's, in calling himself the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he really is bringing out uh, one of the main themes of the book. He was the son of Zebedee. The brother of James, they were fishermen. He's a disciple, he's an apostle. Uh, John focuses on a few things, and he, he takes certain words and he uses them over and over again in, his, uh, in the Gospel of John, and one of them is the idea of truth. He uses the word truth. You'll find that he says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so he uses the word truth uh, 45 times, or excuse me, 80, 80 times in, this, uh, in his writings here. And so... Um, excuse me, 45 times for the word truth, and then love is, is mentioned 80, 80 times. And so he's bringing out these ideas of, of truth and love, but more than those, he brings out the word belief, believe or belief. And uh, one commentator put it this way, I appreciate the way he put it, he said, put it together, John wants us to believe the truth so that we can enter into a loving relationship with the Lord. And uh, I hope that's what we can glean from the gospel of John over the weeks to come, that we would understand the truth so that we can enter into a loving relationship with our creator and with uh, the Lord. So the gospel of John is different than Matthew and Mark 
and Luke in the sense that it is not a synoptic gospel. Synoptic gospels, they all kind of follow the same pattern and they reference many of the exact same accounts. John contains, uh, from my understanding, uh, almost 85% of the content of the gospel of John is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so it, it contains many of the discourses of Jesus. And instead of starting at his birth, his incarnation, God becoming flesh, incarnation, he starts at the beginning of time, and that's what we'll give our minds to this morning. What is the, what is the purpose of this gospel? The gospel of John is, is simple to understand, and yet it is very profound. Uh, as I speak to people, as I speak to new believers, as I have an opportunity to disciple and encourage people to get into their Bible, I would almost always say, go to the Gospel of John. Find out who Jesus Christ is. Read Jesus' own account of who he is in the Gospel of John. Major themes that come out of John are this, that God has become man. The great creator has become a part of his creation. That God or Jesus is fully God and fully man. And you'll hear that many times throughout the coming weeks and months, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and we cannot compromise either. Why does the, the, the question that is answered in the book of John is, why does a transcendent God, someone who is apart from his creation, above his creation, why does he cross that divide to become a man? Of course, you just heard in the songs that we have sung, the purpose of Christ becoming man was to save sinners from their sin, from death, from judgment, and eternal hell. It is a sublime and unfathomable thought that the all-powerful, all-wise creator of all things, sustainer of life, sinless God, would come down to this earth. And let's think about it. He would come to this earth to be born in a cattle stall. He would come to this earth to be subject to the constraints of this physical world. He would live among sinners. He would be despised and rejected of the ones that he came to save. He would have his perfection, his kindness, his mercy, his grace thrown back in his face. He would be treated as the chiefest of all criminals, the one person who, create, who, 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 who did not uh, commit a crime. And yet he persevered to the cross. And it's one thing to think of all of this in its historical context. It's a whole other idea to be able to take this and apply it to your personal life. And so I'd encourage you, as we read through the Gospel of John, to insert yourself into the passages, to read it in such a way that makes you there, because this is why Christ came. He came for you. Inserting your name into the text and seeing Jesus as your creator and you as the one who has rejected him and him as the one who came for you to be your Christ, your Messiah, your Savior. So at the, at the beginning, at the outset, let me just beg you to read the Gospel of John. I would, I would say that you'll get much more out of reading the Gospel of John over and over again and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to take those truths and work them through His miraculous way, through your mind and your heart. You will gain more from that than just coming on a Sunday and listening to abbreviated... We're, gonna, I mean, we're not going to get through what we have here today, if you want to go home. Uh, we're not going to get through it. And uh, we're, there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions. There's gonna, I, my, my English is not that great, and my Greek is, is much worse. And so you're going to miss things. But I tell you what, the Spirit of God misses nothing as He teaches the believer's heart. So give, those, give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to teach you the Gospel of John by 
by getting into it. Read it. You could read the Gospel of John in one sitting, most of you, in one sitting. It might take you a couple hours, but you could do it. Will you do it? Would you try it? Read through it. Read it slowly. Just take a verse. Take a chapter. Take just a discourse that Jesus has with his disciples or with the Pharisees and think through it. What is the prim- This is why we're here in, in John chapter 20. So look down at verse 38. We have the whole purpose of the book of John given to us, clearly stated as its purpose. And so we would start there. So look at John 20 and verse 30. And it comes to the end of this chapter and it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Oh, I love the passage that says, If everything that Jesus did was recorded, the, the sky, the earth could not contain the scroll, right? And so this is just a sampling of what Jesus did. And it says, Many other things he did in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but, but, verse 31, these are written, the accounts, the stories, the miracles, the discussions with the Pharisees. These things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. You see, if you will read the book of John, it is given to you. Every passage is given that you would look to Christ as your Messiah, as your deliverer, the Christ. These things have been written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you might have life through his name. Oh, man. There it is. I don't know how many years it will take us to get through it, but we'll probably end with that exact thought, right? That if we will give ourselves to this and if we will believe in Jesus, he is the Christ, and we will have life through him. And we have no idea what's about to come, right? Man, by the time we're done with John, we may not even be here, right? Yeah, some of you understand that in a real way. (laughs) I mean, think of the changes that have taken place in the last two years or four years or ten years. But you know what? Jesus says this, if you will believe in Christ as the Messiah, you will have life, a life that cannot be taken away. And so this is the purpose of John. That you'd believe in Jesus and that you would have life through his name. Oh, I pray that, that we will understand that. So, to have salvation, to enter life, there must be a belief in the true Christ. Eternal life comes from the true Christ. Those who believe in the Christ that is revealed in this book enter into eternal life. And so our desire in the study of the Gospel of John is to be convinced in the true person of Christ... That, that we would wholeheartedly believe on him. By the way, we'll see this in, entire book is written to demonstrate that, that the very God became flesh. Jesus is God revealed to man in the flesh. Why? So that we would believe in Jesus and enter into life. Oh, I love how John begins. I love those verses. If you don't memorize them, I hope I say them enough time that you can't help but memorize them. John chapter 1, if you'll turn back there, that is where we will begin. And though John is easy to read, it is profound. And the amazing, amazing depth of the doctrine of these passages, especially this first one, will I won't even scratch the surface I don't even scratch the surface in my understanding, much less what I can get out of my mouth. And so please give your heart to 
this in your own study. Why study this book? Well, to affirm what we already believe as Christians, to arm and equip us as Christians to spread the amazing good news of Christ. And lastly, our study is for the purpose of placing ourselves before the person and work of Jesus Christ, sitting as it were before our Savior and listening to him reveal to us who is God. Answering that question, who is God? John will, it is as if we can sit at the feet of Christ and listen to him explain to us who is God. And as we will allow the word of God to enter into our hearts, we will find a Savior that will captivate our hearts and our minds. And so I would ask that you pray with me, and, and don't, this is not the end, okay? We're going to just take time right this morning to pray and ask God to teach us his word. As we enter into the study, let's ask God by the Holy Spirit to bring to us the understanding of these amazing principles of life and that we would believe them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we uh, sit here at the beginning of, of, of a study on the book of John, we cannot help but feel that you have amazing things in store for us. And yet, Lord, you know that uh, we have sinful hearts, and we are fallen, and we are fallible, and we make mistakes, and we don't know the riches of the depth of what you have for believers. But, Lord, we would pray that you would use our time together in the gospel of John to draw us to yourself. Lord, that we would see Christ for who he is, that we would understand you, the Father, as we sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. Lord, I would pray at the very beginning here that you would keep any wrong interpretation, any unbiblical application away from us. Lord, that you would protect us in our study that we would be open and honest with our hearts before your spirit. Lord, we thank you that you have given to us a perfect teacher. We thank you that you have given to us the Holy Spirit, whom you have promised to lead us into the truth. And so we beg for that. Lord, I would pray if there's any hidden agenda in, in my heart or in my study, Lord, that you would wipe that clean and, and keep us free from that error. And Lord, that we would rejoice as we are exposed to you, the Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In, in the, the, the doctrine of Mormonism, I am not an expert on Mormonism, but Mormonism believes that Jesus and Adam and Satan are all spirit brothers with different plans on how to save humanity, Satan's plan was to do it by force, if I understand correctly. Jesus' plan was to live among people, to die for them, to provide for them salvation, so that if we will live like Jesus, the men will be able to ascend to their own planet, call up their wives, well, at least the good ones, and populate their own planet with spirit children like God and his wives have populated this planet of which you are one of them. And of course, this God was, uh, had a mother and father, and, and uh, yeah, it's not the same. It's a different God. It's a heresy. And yet, in 2012, when Mitt Romney, who was a Mormon, was running for president, he met with Billy Graham in a private meeting, 
about these things and the next day the Billy Graham organization removed Mormonism from its website's list of cults, stating at that time that they did not want to get into theological issues that had political overtones. Um, how important is it that we know who God is? How wrong is it for us to take the almighty, all-powerful God and offend him to maintain this, this farce of politics and rulership over men? How can we turn our back on the doctrines of God and expect to enjoy the blessings of God? How in the world can we say that religious Theological issues don't have political overtones. Are you kidding me? Political overtones flow out of theological understanding. The Ten Commandments state, Thou shalt have no other God before me, and then thou shalt make no graven images or false representation of the true God. If Jesus is God, as is stated in this book over and over again, we would be wise not to play fast and loose with truth. And so we will, we will go through doctrine, and sometimes people get, get bogged down in doctrine, but I will tell you this, the reason you do Monday through Friday what you do, the reason you pursue the things you do on Saturday and Sunday comes from doctrine. Who is God? Do you believe in that God? Is it just a false representation of a true God? Is it a false God? And so we come to John chapter 1. Look at it with me. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. I am not very good with outlines, and so if you don't mind, we'll just use the words as our outline this morning. I am not good with alliteration, uh, so we'll just start with this. Number one, in the beginning. And we're only going to get through verse one, don't worry. All right, in the beginning. These words carry with them two profound meanings. It is this, at the beginning of history, this passage starts out very much like, well, Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This is talking about the beginning of history, but beyond that, it's talking about the, the origin of the universe. Oh, man, how many people debate over the origin of the universe? Where did it come from? How did it start? And of course, as as creationists, we would say this. We would say that, that God created from nothing. We're not saying that nothing created nothing. We're saying God, the preeminent one above all things, created from nothing all that there is. And the world would look at that and say, yeah, right. It had no, that's crazy. This is just random chance. This is mutation. And, of course, you say, well, where did that come from? And they go, well, that came from this. And where did that come from? Well, well, I don't know where that came from. And you keep asking, where did that come from? Where did that come from? And finally, they have to admit that it came from nothing. And yet they would, they would say, okay, it came from nothing, but there's no God. There's no God. 
in the beginning, the beginning of history, but beyond that, the beginning of all things, Colossians 1.18, excuse me, 1.17 and 18 says this, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist or are held together. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. He's the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. He is the beginning. These verses go hand in hand. Revelation 3.14 Under the angel of the church at Laodicea write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. It is not saying that he was the first created thing of God. It is saying this, He is the origin of all things. He is the beginning. It's interesting, too, because the purpose of the book of John said this, that in believing in him, we might have what? Life. He is the beginning. He's the beginning of your life. He's the beginning of everlasting life. He's the beginning of temporary life. He is the beginning of all things. In the beginning. John lays out the most fundamental point of theology when he says that there was never a time when the word was not. He is before all things. There never was a thing that did not depend on him for existence. Even the atheist who shakes his fist in the face of God draws his breath as a gift from the one he now curses. In and out, God gives mercifully that breath so that he can stand and curse God. In the beginning, now let's look at the word was. It's a really good outline. Okay, number two, was. This word is an important word. The verb was is specific and carries great theological meaning. And I'm not going to act like I know all the Hebrew and the Greek. So bear with me as I try to give you my very small understanding. But this word was means continually was. Is a, it is a derivative of the verb, the Hebrew verb, ami, which means to be. And this is a very important word in the Old Testament because if you remember, Moses comes to the burning bush and the burning bush is on fire and God says, go and, and lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses goes, I, what? I can't do that. Well, if I go to them, who am I going to tell them sent me? And God looks at him and says, you tell them this, I am that I am sent you. And you know what that word is? The same word here. I am. I exist. I am the beginning of all things. And all things are sustained through me. You tell them that the, the self-existent one sends you. By the way, when he goes and leads them out, do they follow him? Yes, they do. Why? Because it was the I am that works in the hearts of man. I am. In fact, we're going to get to this amazing passage in John chapter 8. And anybody who would deny that Jesus claimed to be God is not, is not reading the book of John with academic honesty. Because Jesus comes to this point in John, 50, John 8 verse 56, and he's looking at the Pharisees, and he's looking at these people, and he says... Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. Your father, of course, Abraham, whew, they, they venerated Abraham. They loved Abraham. 
He says, your father Abraham got excited when he thought about me coming to this earth. That was, <laughs> you talk about offensive, right? Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I was, uh-uh, I am. You know what that means? There was no start and there was no finish. There was no pre-Christ. There will be no post-Christ. We may be a post-Christian nation, but there is no such thing as a post-Christian or post-Christ era. He is before all things. He is in all things. He's after all things. And so when it says this, in the beginning was... The word was is a derivative of that term to be, and it's stating this, that in the beginning, before the beginning, the word existed. Before the beginning, the word existed. This is going to become very important because that is the one that we are called to put our belief in. Not another, not another God, not another Messiah, not another, well, yeah, one of the 2,800. No, he is the one before all things. So in the beginning was, number three, the word. He's the word. This is the Greek word logos, and it holds a lot of a, a, a meaning in the word. And, and the Greeks, for the Greeks, uh, who, who exalted their understanding, who exalted their ability to think they were the rational people. They're the smart ones. They're the educators. They're the professors. The Greeks said, prove it to me logically and I'll believe it. And so the Greeks understood that there was something that created logic. Even the Greeks weren't atheists in that sense. They realized that organized thought started somewhere. And so the logos was this impersonal source of rationality it was it was where why we're able to talk and have discussion is because there was there was there is there is the logos there's the word and so john presents jesus to the greeks not as an impersonal source or force but but the true god the true source of reason order power wisdom in the universe and a in a a god that they could actually know and touch. In the beginning was the word, the source of all reasoning. To the Jew, though, the word logos was much more than that, in the sense that throughout the Old Testament, it, all, it says the word of the Lord came to this man, the word of the Lord came to that man, the word of the Lord told them to do that. They received the word of the Lord on tablets. The word of the Lord was very important to them. It was the revelation of God. And no man had seen God at any time, but there was a revelation of him in the word. And so the word of the Lord would come to them. And so to the Jew, the word of the Lord is an expression of divine power and wisdom. The word of God is how the Jews receive their revelation of God. The commandments, the covenants, the promises, the prophets, all that was precious to them came from the word of God. We read, we, we read this morning, if you have your, remember your bulletins, we read out your bulletins, and it says this in Hebrews 1, it says that God who at many times and in many different ways spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, and what did the prophets receive? They received the word of God, the word. 
Okay? It says, in these last days has spoken unto us by what? His Son. You see, the Word of God that gave them the covenants and the promises and called them His special chosen people has now come in flesh. That was special. That, that was the promise of the Old Testament, that the Messiah would come. And so as the Old Testament is the written spoken word, the New Testament is the account of the word becoming flesh. So Jesus presents Je or John presents Jesus to the Jews as the embodiment of divine power and the embodiment of divine revelation. There's no greater expression or representation or declaration of God than Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. This is why we're studying the book of John, to know God. God has made himself known through his Word, and the Word became a person, Jesus Christ. If we want to know who God is, we must know Jesus Christ. And in fact, if we come to know Jesus Christ, we know God because he is from the beginning, he is God. So when I ask you who is God and what does God look like and what does God think like, well, that is going to be page after page is going to be expressed to us in the life of Jesus Christ. He, he, he takes the Father, right? Jesus takes the Father and it shows us no man has seen God, but the only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ, the Word, well, we've seen him. We've heard him. We've touched him. In the beginning was the word. That is what he's saying here. It says this. We won't be able to get into all the theological implications of this, but it says the word was with God and the word was God. What does that mean? The English translation in no way captures the truth of the statement. Um, and I did know a little bit of Greek, and as we, we studied this portion very closely, this is called the prostontheon. I, I don't speak Greek very well. Right? But uh, this is an important phrase. It says the word, and then it says prostontheon was with God, and it means this. It, it, it goes beyond just saying that there was something there. It says this word actually stands face to face in a relationship with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word stood face to face, having a rational, intimate discourse, a relationship with God. And so, of course, if we're going to study the book of John, we have to understand it as much as we can. What is the Trinity, right? Because no one stands face to face with God without being equal with God. And, of course, we read that today as well. Jesus thought it not robbery or something to be grasped at, to be called equal with God, because it was already his. He's equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, became a man. But here's the thing, the word, what we, are, what we are going to study about Christ is that he, before time began, stood face to face and communed with and spoke with and had a relationship to God. Why? He is God. One essence Three persons, he's the second person of the Trinity. He stands face to face with God. By the way, when, by, when Jesus said to them, I am, 
before Abraham was, I am, they didn't go, oh, I wonder what it means. No, they picked up stones. Why? Because there's only one God and you just claim to be him and we will kill you. They knew what he was saying. And it says that Jesus walked through their midst. It was not his time to die. They would have killed him for claiming to be equal with God. Why people can read that passage and say, no, he claims to be like his father or kind of a you know, divine but not God is, is not faithful to the context to the passage. He claims Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. It's interesting. If you read through Proverbs, Proverbs kind of personifies, well, it talks about wisdom as if it was a person, right? T take your Bible. You need to see this. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 8 and tell me if you were going to give a name to wisdom, whose name would you give? If you were going to have, wisdom is personified, meaning it, it's spoken about like it's a person. Well, if it was a person, what would you call it? Who would you call it? What would his name be? Look at verse 27, Proverbs 8. It says this, when he, that is God the Father, when God established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. I'm reading from a different translation, by the way, if you're getting lost. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Who is that? It has a name. It's Jesus. It's amazing. In the beginning was the word. He was part of creation. He was the, he was the creative agent, we would say, in creation. And then it finishes with, this verse finishes with this, a simple declaration. The word was, same word that was used earlier, was God. The same word was God. It's going to be interesting because we're going to drop down to the next verse and it's going to say all things came into being. And, and, and that's another word that they could have used. In the beginning came into being the word, but that is not the word that they use. It's the word ami, which talks about to be, to exist. And so when it comes down to the next verse, or verse 3, when it says that all things were made by him, it's going to use a very different word in the Greek language to talk about. Now we're talking about the start of all things. But before the start of all things existed the word. This is the pinnacle of the opening thought. The word is not only preexistent with God, not only does he stand equal with God, but he himself is God. This is the clearest and most direct statement of Jesus' deity. You say, wait a second, I don't see the word Jesus in these verses. Oh, wait, it's coming. Keep reading, and you're going to find out Jesus is the word. He's coming down the path. We'll see it in just a bit. Not today. We'll see all throughout this book that Jesus claims to be God. He accepts worship. He forgives sins. He performs miracles. He does all these things that are solely given to God. 
And so to end our time this morning, there are three primary truths that are fundamental to, to us knowing God, the real God, the true God. Not a God of man's making, not a God of man's manipulation that can then put together a religion around this false idea. No, this is the true God. Get rid of all religion and you still will have this God there demanding a response from you. I'm so tired of hearing people complain about organized religion because what they'd like to do is say that organized religion is the chief evil of all men. And if we could just get rid of organized religion, oh, it's okay to be spiritual, but if you could just get rid of organized religion, we wouldn't have crime and we wouldn't have countries fighting each other. We wouldn't have the crusades and we wouldn't. Man is an organized religious being. and You won't get away from it. So what is it this morning? There are fundamental truths. Here they are. Jesus preexisted. He never had a beginning. He had an incarnation where he became man, but he existed before that. He existed before his birth. He existed before the creation of the world. Number two, Jesus is equal to the Father, and it is not a blasphemous thing to say Jesus himself teaches it. God expresses it in his acceptance of Jesus Christ and his work on this earth. Jesus is equal to the Father. And lastly, Jesus is fully God. Fully God. In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is Jesus. Why is it so important? When you defect from these truths that are so clearly taught throughout Scripture, you build a false religion and you miss heaven. And you reject your creator. And you come up with Islam. And you come up with Mormonism. And you come up with Jehovah's Witnesses. And they all have a problem with who Jesus is. Who do you say Jesus? No, that is the Islam. That, I mean, Islam believes Jesus existed, but he was, he was a prophet. He's not the final prophet. And he didn't perform miracles. And he did not die on a cross. And he was not raised from the dead. Jehovah's Witnesses would say, oh, he's kind of divine. But he is not God. Mormonism, we heard about that. A bit crazy. But I'll tell you what, you'll go through any, any man-made religion, you know what they'll, you'll find? They will deny the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and that is what makes them a false religion. So then, why study the book of John? So that you can know that Jesus is the Christ, and that you would believe on him and have life through his name. It is important to know then that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him, nothing. 